You ever get in one of those awkward situations where um, you got to get out of it? Maybe it's a relationship you get into and you got to get out. I mean, you got to take the escape hatch as soon as possible. Maybe it's a job. It's the first day on the job. You get on the job and you realize, oh, bad decision here. I'm in a horrible situation and you got to figure out how you're going to get out of that before you even unpack your boxes or something like that. You get in that awkward situation. One of the times I was in an awkward situation was one of the first times I traveled internationally and I walked into a gay bar and didn't know it was gay. All right? A straight man in a gay bar, that's an awkward situation, all right, that you've got to figure out how to get out of as, as soon as possible. So, you know, you get in those situations and they're awkward and you've got to figure out how to get out of them. But sometimes they're handed to us and we're totally caught off guard and sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes it's because of our own choices that we end up there. One of those that I think that is just ranks right up there where we choose this bad path is when people get into substance abuse. They choose to take that pill and be abused. They choose to smoke that. They choose to inject that. They choose to drink that. And they're literally taking a sound body, a sound mind, and they're messing it up. They're mess, just, just messing it up. And one of those, that voluntary poison that we take in is whenever we allow alcohol to consume us and consume our faculties and to take over uh, what we think, what we say, how we operate, how we live our lives and our relationships and so forth. In fact, I can remember a time we were on a family vacation. I can't remember all the details about it, but I still remember the event. I still remember how I addressed it with the kids. We were on this family vacation and there's this guy in the restaurant about 9.30 in the morning And either he started early or he's continuing on from the night before, but he is intoxicated. And you could smell it. I grew up around it in the sense that I could smell it, I could see it, I knew what it looked like, what it smelled like, the whole thing. And so as you see that being manifest before your kids, how do you address it? And so we're walking out of the restaurant, and I just say, hey, kids, I just want to let you know, that's what stupid looks like, okay? In case you didn't know, that's what stupid looks like. Whenever you get to the point that you're no longer controlling yourself, but you're being controlled by something else. And the thing is, 15.1 million Americans struggle with this. It's, a, it's an issue for them on a regular basis. And there's no joking aside with it. Harvard did a study, and it starts early. Har- Harvard did a study of, of, uh, of 10,000 students on 100 different university campuses and found that 44% of them had binge, had been binge drinking in the past two weeks. That's more than just drinking a cocktail. That's more than happy hour. That's literally downing it to get drunk. It's a dangerous way to introduce yourself into the real world and to live like that. In fact, the Bible says, again, I like the message for its good paraphrases, not as a daily Bible, but the message in this, Proverbs 23, 21, says it like this. Drunks and gluttons will end up on skid row in a stupor, dressed in rags. Now, as a sidebar, another message on another day, notice that he puts gluttons right there next to drunkards, all right? So it doesn't matter if it's something that uh, is legalized or uh, illegal or whatever it is out there. We don't want to end up on skid row as dressed in rags and so forth. Uh, The reality is is that this is huge. This is huge. 80,000 deaths. Um... Uh, a year and homicides and fatalities all have this tie back and somehow fitting in to the abuse of alcohol. The Bible gives us stern warnings, gives us clear red flags. Stop it. Don't go there. Don't end up there. 
uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Read it out loud with me, okay? Here it is. Read it with me. Let us live in a right way. We should not have wild parties and get drunk. All right? Pretty clear there. Now, again, there's a lot of gray. If you're Baptist or if you're Methodist, you can drink. If you're Methodist, but if you're Baptist, you can't drink. Okay, and I understand all that debate back and forth. But there is no ambiguity when it comes to drunkenness. There is no ambiguity at that, at that stage at all, in case you were wondering. There's no debating it uh, on any level. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3, again, out of the message, says this. You've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life Parting night after night, a drunken, pro, uh, pro, propagated life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. Take your Bibles. We find in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is just a continuation of our study through Ephesians. But Paul makes it quite clear. And he does it as succinctly as possible uh, to make it clear to us today how we are to, what we are to abstain from. He makes it clear in Ephesians 5.18 when he says, Don't get drunk with wine. All right? Don't get drunk with wine. What does drunkenness look like? I'm not saying what's it look like whenever you're in a restaurant or a bar or with your friends at a party or something like that. We all kind of know what that looks like. What does it look like chemically in the body? Try to do some some journal research in preparation for this message. And one of the journals I looked at was the International Journal of Legal Medicine. And what they did is they did a study on 30 people. They gave them alcoholic drinks, 30 people, for 30 minutes. That's all. Not long, just 30 people, 30 minutes. What did they come out with in the study? The blood alcoholic concentration, or the BAC, in a person, all 30 of them registered 0.22 to or 1.59. And to be considered drunk or intoxicated, illegal to drive, 0.08. So it doesn't take much to end up in a very dangerous situation. In fact, it was funny, in, in Ireland, uh, this was also a part of something that I came across. The, the government had made it to where it was illegal to drink to the point they went from 0 0.08, they lowered it to 0 0.05. And the Catholic Church got upset because people couldn't even come to Mass and observe Mass because they might walk out intoxicated and couldn't drive home. So interesting thing. It doesn't take much, and then all of a sudden, the story changes and everything changes. What happens? What changes? That we would put this, this limitation out there. Such a, just a little amounts would make such a big difference, because there's effects to it. There's effects to it. That's why even Paul back, I mean, what are they going to do? DWI in your chariot or something like that? I don't know what it was, but they, you just shouldn't do it, okay? Whatever it is, you shouldn't do it because it begins to affect you. It affects you on several different fronts. One, drunkenness alters your speech. It starts changing your speech. Drunkenness also alters your judgment. Drunkenness also begins to affect your balance. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You ought not, as the Bible says, get drunk with wine. All right, now, if you're a real person who tries to dance through things, you can say, okay, I won't get drunk with wine. All right, what else is there out there to get drunk with? Well, the good news is I've got you a loophole because he does tell us what we can get drunk with. 
And we're going to go there in a second, in chapter 5. Let's begin. Let's go back up, though, because you run and jump into the context of this. Go back to verse 15 of chapter 5. You got it in your, your Bibles, hopefully? Great phrase to underscore is the very first phrase. Look carefully, then how you walk. Look carefully how you walk. If you were here last week, you know we've been talking about this. If you were here several weeks back, you know we've been talking about this. This whole idea of how we walk and live and breathe and function in this world as Christians, as followers of Christ. There ought to be a cause and effect. I'm a follower of Christ. That's the cause. The effect, there ought to be something that comes out of that. And so what he's doing, he's saying, hey, listen, guys, listen, gals, be careful. Be really, really, really careful. Because the way you walk is extremely important. Not as unwise, but as wise. Don't get stupid like everybody else. Don't look like everybody else when you're walking. He says, making the best of your time because the days are evil. It's a tough time out there. There's a lot of options out there, and not every option is the best option. The only way you're going to avoid the bad options and make sure you get the best and not the just good or okay or not so good options is you're going to have to be wise. You're going to have to raise up your IW, okay? Your uh, intellect or your, 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 your uh, excuse me, your WQ or whatever it would be, your, your, your wisdom quotient, okay? You're going to have to raise that up in your life. How do you raise that up is going to be a key point to, that we're going to uncover because here's the, here's the thing. We should be drunk, but it's just not with wine. We should be drunk. Keep going with me in verse, verse, 30, uh, verse 17. It says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, if you want to take the passage, the message, and you want to understand it in two simple statements, take the first one I, that I told you to underline, be careful how you're walking. And then take the last one that I just read, therefore, therefore. Now, when you see therefore, you need to ask wherefore, therefore is therefore, okay? Just a good rule of thumb. So he's saying, therefore, there's a result here. The result is that you will live differently, that you'll not be foolish, but you will understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes in and he gives us a warning. He says, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine. Then he goes on, because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but literally what he does, he does this metaphor switch. He says, don't be drunk, intoxicated, consumed, controlled by this foreign substance over here. But what you should be drunk, consumed, controlled by, filled with, saturated by, is the Spirit of God. So, listen, the challenge today is to go out and get drunk. Don't sound bite me on that one, okay? Get drunk on the Holy Spirit and let Him begin to affect your life. Let Him begin to change the way you walk. Let Him begin to give you the wisdom that you need so you're not living like all the other foolish folks out there. Begin to be saturated, intoxicated with Him. And let that change happen. Now, this being filled with the Spirit is really important that we understand this. 
We're gonna, I'm going to give you in two minutes the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, okay? There's no way we're going to cover it all. I'm just going to give you some bullet points, and I'm not even going to cover it all because there's really, if you want to think about the Holy Spirit, you can think about Him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're not even going to deal with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's a, for another day, another, another message. I want us to distinguish between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit because they're two different events. And some people have made them different things and... and, and so I just want to kind of unpack it where I'm coming from, the, the, my presupposition today. Baptism is a one-time event, okay? It happens at the point when you enter into this amazing born-again experience with Jesus, all right? As you enter into this amazing born-again new life experience with Jesus, you receive His Spirit. And you are baptized. You are immersed. That's what the word baptized means. You are immersed in God's Spirit. Filling, that's ongoing. That's continuous. That doesn't stop. That's an everyday event. Hopefully it's an everyday. It doesn't always happen every day. Hopefully it happens every day. should happen every day. Baptism is non-experiential. Listen, when I got saved at eight years old, there was no thunderclap. There was nothing. I just was saved. But I know that I know that I know at the kitchen table on Fifth Street in Rogers, I can still remember on that day, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't fall on the floor. I, there was, I wasn't slain in the Spirit. There was no outward experiential. But there was a change in my life. All right? Being filled, however, it is experiential. You'll see today how when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're intoxicated with the Spirit, it will affect your life. There are experiential results that come with being filled with the Spirit. Baptism, it, it, it isn't commanded, okay? There's nothing in the Scripture that says you are commanded to be baptized. However, we are commanded, and you read it right there with me, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, all right? We're not commanded to be baptized. That's because that's an act of God. God does it. He, when He saves us, we are baptized. His Spirit comes upon us. It happens, all right? We're, it's almost a passive act where God does it in our life. Being filled, though, is a passive act, but it's something that we allow Him to do in us in an ongoing fashion. Here's one more. Baptism is universal for believers. You're a believer. You receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's, the, here's, a, here's a distinguishing mark. It's not universal to be filled. Okay? You can literally cap off, quench. The Bible uses the word quench. The Spirit. The Bible also uses the word grieve the Spirit. David said, don't let your Spirit leave me. What was he saying? What was going on? This is that filling element of those who are been baptized because they're born again. But here's the great thing. <laughs> The Christian faith doesn't end when you're a child and you accept Christ and you get dunked in a baptistry. It is an ongoing relationship with God where He is filling you day in and day out, moment by moment, in your relationships, on your job. You don't, you're not just at church and it happens in some kind of thing at church whenever something weird happens and nobody else understands it, but you... No, being filled is a daily work of God inside of you. Now, my question to you, one, is have you been baptized? Is the Spirit of God living in you? 
Number two is are you walking daily in your life filled and controlled by Him? Think about it. All right? You get this passage of Scripture. I want to say, I want to give you three reasons real quickly why you should want to, long for, ask God for to be drunk. All right? With the Spirit. All right? Drunk with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Number one is because drunkenness will alter your speech. Now, I'm not talking about slurred speech. I'm talking about that he, it, it, literally, when God's Spirit works in you, your speech will be altered. It will affect the way you talk, you communicate. It'll affect what happens deep down inside your heart. Look at this verse. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. Uh, it says this, But the things that come out of the mouth, don't miss that, come from the heart. And these are the things that make a person ritually unclean. It's, it's what comes out of our mouth. Where does that come from? It comes from our heart. So it's literally what happens when I am filled with the Spirit. It begins to purify and clean the depths of my heart. Therefore, my mouth is cleaner. It begins to affect me. When you are controlled and consumed and drunk and intoxicated by God's Spirit, it will affect your words. It will affect your words with your subordinates, with your children. It will affect your words with the people around you. It will even affect your words with people who don't know that you're talking about them. It will affect your words with those who have hurt you the most. Somehow you will have the grace in your words, the mercy in your words. There will be words that will build up and not destroy and tear down because the Spirit of God is transforming you from the inside out. From your heart to your mouth begins to affect even the way you speak. Chuck Swindoll said it like this, if your heart is a cesspool, your mouth is a sewer line. Think about it. James chapter 3, another stern warning from the half-brother of Jesus. He said it like this, Consider what a great forest is set afire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. Literally, James is saying, You want to mess up your life? Let your tongue wag and go on without restraint, without control. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on by fire by where? Hell itself. If we can't, if we don't see a transformation of the way we talk about, the way we talk to, the way we reference people, if, it does, if it's not changing the way we talk, talk, then I wonder if we're intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. No, it will affect you at a very personal level. It will affect me at a very personal, behind closed door level, as it did this past week when I snapped at Caleb on Wednesday night, whenever he said, did something that I was disappointed in, I just came at him with my words and I went to sleep and I woke up the next day feeling dirty and it, I had to go to him and say Caleb I'm sorry it affected me and how I snapped at Lori just a couple of days ago and then I had to realize again how it was my words 
out of control, unbridled. It was just a spark. And the thing is, is, and this is not something that just I deal with. This is something I've heard people tell me the dark wounds of their life, and they're referring to statements that were made when they were a child. And they've hurt them deeply. We don't think our words go on. You know, the old phrase, sticks and stones may break. What's that? How's that go? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never harm you. Hogwash. Hogwash. Be careful. Because the beautiful thing, when God's Spirit moves inside that cesspool, that heart of ours, He begins to alter the way we talk. He begins to alter the way we talk to other people. He begins to alter the way we talk to God. He begins to alter our worship. Look with me at, at this passage of Scripture because he, he goes on talking about being drunk, being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making... Me- How many times can he talk about things coming out of our mouth? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's because our heart affects our mouth and what comes out of our... It begins to affect our worship. Whenever, whenever, whenever our, our words have been purified, our heart has been made right with God, it's being filled, it begins to affect our worship. If, if you come in here today and it was hard for you to sing, it may mean you need to be intoxicated today. Think about it. It'll also affect how we deal with other people. It'll affect how we relate with other people. The words will bring hope and healing and not destruction. Man, I tell you what, our words can hurt. But whenever we have been intoxicated, they help. They bring healing. I can remember, I can remember about 19, hanging out with some of my college guy friends. We were just, we were just about four or five of us and we just pretty much did everything together one summer and and it was just, we were, but we, we were like all guys still are today. And we we're just ragging on each other. If somebody had a chance to knock somebody's knees out from under them, we'd knock them out with our words. It was just, we we're just playful fun, right? We began to notice about midsummer how it began to affect even in our, even though we were joking, I know, we were just kidding. We were just, we were just rising on each other. It began to affect us. And it was Bob who kind of called the guys together. And Bob said, you know what? We've got to stop it now. And it was Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, that became the verse that we memorized together and that we committed together. And it says it like this, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that you will give grace to those who hear it. How much do your words literally come at that right hour, at that right moment, at that right time to build someone up, to get them words of grace? Think about it. When you're intoxicated, it will come out of you. It will be a part of you. Number two, when you're intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, it will also not only affect your speech, but drunkenness will alter your judgment. Now, again, when you think about what happens with judgment and, and intoxication with alcohol and, and all that. You don't have to look very far 
before, before you find out that it doesn't take much to begin to affect you. If 0.08 is considered intoxicated, again, in the same journal, they found that 0.02 of BAC in your blood, blood alcohol content, concentration, what happens then is you begin to lose your motor skills and you can no longer do two functions at once completely effectively. So, for example, you can't steer the car and push the gas and keep it accurate. If you don't believe what happens when that begins to happen, talk to anybody. Talk to Lori whenever she lost her uncle growing up to a drunk driver. Talk to, talk to a lot of other people what happens whenever they lose their skills because they've been intoxicated with alcohol. See, what happens whenever you're intoxicated with alcohol, your judgment is impaired. But when you're intoxicated with the Spirit, your judgment is enhanced. All right? There's a total different effect. Whenever you have God's Spirit intoxicating, controlling, filling your life up, you begin to see life with greater discernment. You begin to see life with greater depth perception. You come upon a decision, an opportunity, if you will, and you're able to see past it and to see the real bill of goods on the other side of it. You're able to come upon that opportunity and say, you know what, it looks good on the outside, but I really know what's on the other side of that. And you start making really sound judgment decisions. I want you to skip back up to verse 6. Now, we read this last week, I know, but I want us to just kind of get to a point here. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in, in all that is, I love this, good and right and true. Now notice this next statement. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Man, that's a beautiful verse to memorize. That's a beautiful verse to just kind of pray out to God. God, I want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I want to be so intoxicated with you, God. You are affecting my judgment and life and the decisions and the opportunities that are out there. I want you, I want to discern you what is good and right and true. And guys, there's a lot of things intoxicating us in this world. Fashion, fortune, fantasy, fame, fleet. You could list them out there. They intoxicate us. We live for them. We think about them. I like that last statement because it really leads me to living. I know it's a common statement. But I think it's true. It helps me to live for an audience of one. Whenever I'm living my life trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, then I'm living for an audience of one. And that's the most important audience that I can live for. Is what, is, is, is what I'm about to do pleasing good, right, and true, is it pleasing to you, God? 
That's, that's what I want to. I want to strive for that, God. It affects your judgment in your life. Also, number three, dr- drunkenness not only affects your speech, not only affects your judgment, but drunkenness will affect your balance. Now, again, this International Journal of Legal Medicine said this, and I quote, that the study that, that on alcoholism and so forth will sway a sense of direction was one of the most sensitive in detecting intoxication. Why is it that a police officer can pull you over, make you get out, find a straight line, make you walk a straight line, toe-to-toe, toe-to-heel? Why, how can they t- take your hands out and, and you touch your nose? And how can they determine you're drunk? Because they have found that what happens internally, what's happening internally affects what happens externally. You manifest something here. You're manifesting something that's going on internally, even if you've got breath mints in your jaws like chipmunks, all right? They can still determine something's going on inside of you that's affecting the outside of you. Your balance is beginning to sway. What happens whenever you are intoxicated with the Spirit? Is there something going on on the inside of you? But you know what? It affects the outside of you. And you know what it affects the outside of you? People around you, they won't touch your, see if you can touch your nose. They're going to look at your life and you will manifest the drunkenness of God's Spirit filling you. How does that happen? What's that look like? What does drunkenness look like? when you're drunk with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a great picture of it. 5, 22 and 23 says it like this, the fruit of the Spirit. Doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. He says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Read it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I like it because it says, and against such there's no law. McDaniel paraphrase, there isn't anything wrong with this stuff. All right? You can do it. Do it as much as you can. Let it, let it come out of you. Let it spill out. There's nothing wrong with this. Love, joy, peace. The list gets long, though, doesn't it? How do you, how, do you make this your task list for the day? Do you tick it off? Okay, I showed someone love. Okay, I didn't, I didn't go road rage on that person. You know? I didn't blow up when I, you know, you get, you get mad. I need to have more patience. I haven't had patience today. So you just kind of grit and you grin and you, and you don't say anything. But, of course, everything on the outside of you says everything that everybody around you needs to know. Patience. How do you get patience? That's tough. I really used to think of this as a to-do list. And I thought, how in the world will I ever have peace? How in the world do you muster that up? How do you muster joy up? And I began to realize the cause and effect, the cause of being intoxicated, filled, consumed, controlled by God's Spirit, naturally produces, manifests something in me called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control is one of those that a, a man who can't handle the pornographic temptations of his life, but it's just natural. But when he's intoxicated by God, 
he overcomes. What happened? Did he, did he get some kind of chemical change in his body? Did he, did he take a pill? What was it? Because he learned, learned something? No. Because he, because he took a course on self-control? No. Because the Spirit of God was controlling him. He was intoxicated. How do you get more patience with your kids? You don't have more kids. That won't do it. All right? You get patience with your kids? Don't get rid of your kids either. That, that, that won't do it. All right? Don't leave them here today. Take them all with you, okay? Um, how do you get patience? You allow God to intoxicate your spirit. And all of a sudden, what you didn't have, you'll have. Because you've been filled and you're being filled and you're being consumed by Him. So my challenge to you today is get drunk. All right? Go for it. Let God's Spirit consume your spirit. I'm, I don't want to throw out the Greek and the Hebrew all the time. It kind of seems a little bit uh, arrogant. Because, uh, listen, if you saw my Greek grades, you'd know it's not arrogance when I say it. Um, but the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And it, but the Greek language is so rich. It takes about five words sometimes to, to, to communicate what one Greek word might have in it, verb and tense and moods and all that kind of stuff going on. Okay, so it is, it is powerful. And I just want, I want that last phrase to be your phrase of the day. Be filled with the Spirit. There's a tense and a voice and a mood in every, in every Greek verb. And this is a present, passive imperative. Present, passive, imperative. The idea of present is the idea of something that is ongoing, not stopping. It's habitual. It's a part of you. Okay? It's, it's, it's here and now. It's not I want to be filled somewhere down the road. I will be filled when I get to church. I will be filled when somebody lays hands on me, and then I'll be filled. It's something that's now and it's ongoing. The passive part is not something you do. That's the hard part. Because then when you look at the next thing it's, it's an imperative but it's passive i'm supposed to do it you got to do it be ye filled with the spirit but it's passive how am i filled with the spirit if, it, if i'm not the one who does it it's god who does it and the beauty of that phrase is so tied up in the fact that in fact the phrase if you literally translate it, is be ye being filled you, something that you just kind of it happens to you but here's the cool thing about it you can't, you can't control it. You can't control it. But you can stop it. You can't, you can't control it. You can't turn on the tap and you're, you're doing that. This is something that God does in you. But you can stop it. The Bible even warns us, don't quench the Spirit. Don't stop what God wants to do in you. God wants to do some beautiful things in you. But the thing is, is sometimes I'm afraid we cap it off and we say, God, not now. I got this I want to do. I don't really want to give up this. And we kind of get into this debating thing with God and we just kind of cap it up and shut it off. If you go to this place in Arkansas, if you go there, you can go and, and they'll have these big generators and they've got this big well and, and they'll pump up for you from the ground deep inside the earth water that you could literally take a cup and immediately drink it without any purification, reverse osmosis, or anything. It is just pure water. Now, there's a lot of expense to getting that water from down there up to here. 
But if you go to Athens, Texas, a well that's very deep in the ground, this amazing thing happens, that water comes up on its own. In fact, they don't have any generators. They don't have any pumps. It just comes up. They have to literally cap it to control it. And I wonder sometimes if we have capped off God's work inside of us and how He wants to fill us and consume us and control us, but we've capped Him. Are you a follower of Christ today? Because if you are, the Spirit of God is in you. And if you're not, He's not. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Ban, go ahead and come on up. It says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So do you belong to Him? Is He in you? Would you pray with me?